Okay, turn in your Bibles to the book of Colossians chapter 1. Do you guys remember what we talked about last week? Okay, someone said yep. Who said yep? Okay, Barbara, what did we talk about last week? Okay, and it's all under this idea of the walk that we should have or the life that we should live, right? Anybody else remember anything? Uh, someone, yeah. Uh, living a worthy life. Living a worthy life, exactly right. And that's the terminology, we'll see that again today. I saw another hand up there somewhere, over there. Yes, sir. Uh, you Yeah, and a lot of the passages that we looked at last week were about the idea of our relationship to each other and living together in unity and harmony and that kind of thing. Now this is going to be sort of part two. And I sort of subtitled this for this morning, The Daily Christian. Okay, The Daily Christian. Now in some people's lives, Christianity is not daily. It would be what? Uh, maybe biannually. The biannual Christian. Uh, seasonal Christian. <laughs> maybe the occasional Christian. Uh, yet, we're going to look at this idea of daily uh, after we read this main passage in the book of Colossians. Colossians chapter 1, we're going to begin reading in verse 3. And this is Paul writing to the church at Colossae. And he starts out, he says, We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love you all have for the saints, the faith and love that spring from the hope that is stored up for you in heaven and that you have already heard about in the word of truth, the gospel that came to you. All over the world, this gospel is bearing fruit and growing just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and understood God's grace in all its truth. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who was a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf, and who told us of your love in the Spirit. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of His will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy. There it is again. Living this worthy life that we're talking about in the Lord may please Him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to His glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience, and joyfully giving thanks to God the Father, who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. For He has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son He loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Now we're going to come back and we're going to work that passage over a little bit, uh, pretty heavily beginning uh, a little bit further down, verse 10 and, and on, and we're going to really pull out some good stuff there. But with this, this worthy life that he keeps talking about is a daily life. Look over to the book of Luke. We're going to go back to Jesus and one of His fundamental basic calls of, of discipleship. In other words, if you're going to follow Jesus, if you're going to follow Me, this is what He says. Luke 9, verse 23. You guys getting there? Luke 9, verse 23. 
We're going to look at two different passages here emphasizing this daily thing. Luke 9, verse 23. Then He said to them all, If anyone would come after Me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow Me. So Jesus' called discipleship is something that is a daily call. What are things that we do every day? Clean ourselves. Breathe. We feed ourselves. Blink, okay? Uh, good. I can tell they're thinking, uh, you know. Uh, but there, there's things that in our life we understand we don't do all the time. We don't have Christmas all the time. Christmas is something that we do once a year, right? It's a great time. It's a wonderful time, generally speaking, in people's lives. But we understand that that's sort of something we do once a year. We have a birthday once a year. You know, we understand there's things that come along uh, and, and they're just, you know, not, it's not to be talked about or enjoyed all the time. There are some things that we know need to happen on a daily basis in our life. And if they don't happen on a daily basis, it's not a very good thing. And we understand, hey, I, I, I need to eat every day. I need to replenish myself. I need to have this, this you know, sort of cycle in my life uh, of taking care of myself and, and feeding myself. Jesus says, if you're going to follow Me, I want you to understand, if anyone, Me, you, the people He was talking to, anybody, if you're going to be My disciple, you're going to have to take up your cross daily. Christianity is not something that should happen in your life every seven days. See, for some people that think, well, I'm a Christian, that means on Sunday I go to church. Well, that's good. I'm glad you understand that very fundamental thing of being a Christian. But discipleship is not what you do on Sunday. It's what you do every day of the life, of your life. Discipleship is daily. Look over to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. This is another passage. It clearly brings up this idea, this worthy walk, this living a worthy life, is to be done on a daily basis. Uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and uh, we're going to pick it up in verse 11. 1 Thessalonians 4.11 Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. Well, that's interesting, isn't it? To mind your own business. Boy, sometimes the Bible can be phenomenally specific and clear. Make it your, your business. I mean, make up your mind, you know. Uh, make it your ambition and live a quiet life. Mind your own business and to work with your hands just as we told you. And he, look what he says in verse 12. So that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders and so that you will not be dependent on anybody. Isn't that interesting? Your daily life. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. This life that we're supposed to be living, we need to understand it's every day of our life. It's not just something that happens every once in a while that you act like a Christian. 
that every day of our life, it should be our intention, and we're going to look at some very specific things back in Colossians 1 there, about, okay, what are the things that I want to be doing, that I want to be accomplishing, that I want to be able to say at the end of the day, yeah, I, I tried to do that, or I thought about doing that, I made effort at doing that, or I did that, uh, you know, whatever. That we can look back, you know, when we, we sort of, you know, when our, our head hits the pillow at night, that we can say, okay... Today, I did, at least I tried to do, a good job, if you know what I'm saying. But it should be our understanding that this should happen today, it should happen tomorrow, it should happen the next day, if God gives us life, that we're going to try our best today to be a Christian. Now, you know what you and I can do about yesterday? Nothing! Yesterday is gone in your life and in my life. It cannot be repeated. Yesterday may have been a great day. It may have been a mediocre day. It may have been a bad day. But it's gone. Now, what can you do about tomorrow? You can plan. But we don't know we'll have tomorrow. But even if we don't know that we're going to have it, it's okay to plan. You know, if I have tomorrow, tomorrow I would like to, if I get a chance, I want to do it. But the, the one day, you can't do anything about yesterday, you can't do anything about tomorrow, except maybe plan, but today, you can decide you're going to be this, that, something, you're going to say this, you're going to do this, and, and that kind of thing. I have total control of what I'm going to do today. You understand what I'm saying? And you do too. Now, look back to Colossians chapter 1, the passage that we read a little bit earlier. Colossians 1, he talks about this daily life, this worthy life in verse 10. And we pray that, that and in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord. And he's going to give five things here that are very specific kind of things that we can understand. Okay, what should this life look like today? Okay, we can't, we can't do anything about yesterday. We can only plan for tomorrow. But we can do today, right? Yes. He says that you may please Him in every way. And here's number one. Number one, bearing fruit in every good work. Here's something specific. That we can bear fruit in every good work. You say, what, what does that mean? It can mean a number of things, but let me, let me boil it down here to something that we can all, we can understand and we can take this out. Whether you're a teenager on the front road here or you're a senior citizen. Anywhere in between. Men, women. I mean, you know, married, single. It means be productive. Bearing fruit in every good work. Today, I want to be productive. Today, you should want to be Productive. Now, what does that mean? It can mean a lot of things in your life. He says bearing fruit in every good work. But today you should want to be productive. You should want to actually do something intentionally that is productive in someone's life. All the parents here. Today, try to be productive toward your children. Well, what does that mean? It can mean a lot of things. It could be looking at your kid eye to eye and say, you know, I really like you. You're pretty cool. You know, kids like to know that their parents like them. 
Because unfortunately, sometimes parents actually communicate to their kids, I am annoyed with you. <clears throat> and I am disappointed in you and I'm frustrated with you. But you know what? When parents say to their kids, I like you. I think you're pretty cool. After all, you're my kid, you know. I mean, what else would you be? You know? uh, but you know what? That's being productive. How about, how about kids to parents? Mom, I think you're cool. Dad, I think you're cool. Uh, whatever, you know. What, what, cool is a, a long time ago. Uh, what, what, what would you say today, teenagers? Help me. What would you say to your parents? Mom, you are? You're what? Speak, 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 speak. You are? Mom. You don't like your mom? We have a deeper problem here than I knew. Okay, let's go to dad. Dad, you are? Awesome. You are awesome. Okay, I guess awesome's a word. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll go with that. that that's productive. You, you, you have expressed things, uh, 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 you know, uh, whatever. You're being productive. Uh, I, uh, I got up this morning, worked on my sermon and everything, made myself breakfast. I did the dishes. I cleaned the, the pot or the, uh, the, the fry pan that I made my eggs in and, and, and the plate that I ate my eggs on and, and, and I put the butter back in the refrigerator and uh, uh, the honey that I put into my Earl Grey tea back into the cabinet. I was being productive. See, productive and all good work. Okay, now I'm just going to pick on somebody here uh, just randomly off the top of my Jose, what are you going to do today that's productive? What are you going to do? You're going to buy your dad a computer. Hey, hey. Several of us wish we were your dad today. Okay, that, that, that's what it is. What does it mean to live this worthy life? You bear fruit in every good work. In other words, be productive is what he's saying. Now, what does he say next? This is the second thing. Be productive in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God. How do you grow in the knowledge of God? Obviously, you read the Scriptures. Uh, you enjoy uh, God's creation. I understand that tonight, is it 7 o'clock, Chris, tonight? What, what, what's happening tonight? 7-11, Okay, so there's a blood moon tonight. So this only happens every... Every 30-some years or something, okay? So, uh, uh, big uh, thing of nature tonight. So you have, have an opportunity, you know? To look up into the... It'll be dark at, at that time. Look up into the night sky and you can see uh, God's wonderful and beautiful creation. You grow in the knowledge of God. And he, and he also implies growing in this next comment. So the third thing is being strengthened with all power according to His glorious might. These two things both talk about the idea that this walk that we're supposed to be living on a daily basis is something that involves growth. That we're actually growing. We're being strengthened. We're knowing more about God. Now here's something that I would want you to take away from this lesson. Improvement is always appreciated. 
God wants us in our walk with Him to try to improve, to try to get better, to try to grow in our knowledge. Now what happens sometimes is we get overwhelmed. We realize, man, there's more that I don't know than I know. And we get frustrated with ourselves. We begin to think we're incompetent. We begin to think, I'm stupid. What's wrong with me? Listen, God doesn't look at any of us and say, you're stupid. God looks at us as our Father. Now, we've got a lot of fathers in the room. I'm a father. I do not look at my children and think they're stupid. Ever. I look at my children and I think, man, my kids are wonderful. My kids are awesome. Now, do I know their weaknesses? Do I think any of my kids are going to get a PhD in astrophysics? <laughs> no. I mean, you know, my mother kept my report cards and I've seen them. I mean, they, they've got my DNA. So are my kids, when I say my kids are awesome, do I think my kids are capable of anything? No, I realize they're not. There are a lot of people that may be smarter than my kids. But I, as a father, I look at my kids and I, I'm, I'm enchanted by them. I, I, I'm mesmerized sometimes by them. I can't believe they're my children. Wow. That's how God looks at us. So God doesn't look at you and say you're a disappointment. God doesn't look at you and say you're a dud. You know, well, that one's a dud. No, no. God realizes our capacity. And he's, he's, he's good with it. He's okay with your capacity. This is not a competition of, of who's the smartest guy in the room. Aren't you annoyed by people who actually think they're the smartest person in the room? What an arrogant blowhard. I'm Shut up. How dare you think you're the smartest person in the world? You can't pay your phone bill on time. Smartest person in the room. Listen, intelligence has all kinds of of, uh, ways to measure it, and and competence has all kinds of ways to understand itself. But God wants us to improve. Improvement's always appreciated. He wants us to want to know more about Him. He wants us to want to grow in our knowledge of Him. He wants us to grow spiritually stronger. So this walk now, what He's saying, this worthy walk, is that we're growing stronger. We're getting a little bit better. You don't have to be the best Christian around. Just get a little bit better. You know what? Have a good day and then at the end of that day say, one in a row. Come on, baby. I'm on it. We've got momentum now. Uh, you know, if, if you know what I'm saying. you got one in a row. You have things going in a good direction. Now, he comes on down. He says, being strengthened with all power according to His glorious might that you may have great endurance and patience. Great endurance and patience. The Christian life is challenging for all of us. It's challenging in different ways for all of us. But this worthy walk is not an easy walk. If you want to have an easy life, don't become a Christian. Now, you're going to have difficulties because of other things in life if you don't become a Christian. And the Christian life will actually save you from some suffering and difficulty that you would have if you lived in the world by the world's standards. 
But the Christian life is never depicted as being, come follow me. Jesus didn't say, come follow me and you're going to have an awesome, pain-free life. That was not to call the discipleship. They're called discipleship. Come follow me and, and deny yourself. Take up your cross daily and follow me. Those things, the self-denial and, and the, the concept of cross-bearing are indicative of some level of suffering and difficulty. Right? Yeah. So the Christian life has that in your life and in my life. My, my life as a Christian sometimes is tough. Now, a lot of my problems in my Christian life are, 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 it's like me shooting myself in the foot. They're self-induced, you know. But that's true for most of us. The reason we go through a time in our life when we're not doing well spiritually is because we decide to quit doing good and start doing bad. Now sometimes we just get caught. You ever get caught quick and you didn't realize? You weren't planning on sinning, but you did. You were thinking about it. I got to tell you, driving down Huntington on the way to church this morning. I'm driving down someone in the right-hand lane. Someone backs out and sits there. And then creeps forward and turns into the next parking spot. I got to tell you, I hit the horn and I didn't say what a Christian should have said. Now, if that just shocks you, then you know you haven't been a member of the church here very long. Now, I, I didn't get in my car to go to church this morning thinking, okay, here's what we're going to do. I'm just going to sin on the way to church. <laughs> you see, sometimes sin just sort of creeps up on us. We do something we know we shouldn't do or act in a way we know we shouldn't act. We didn't necessarily plan to do it or, or, or you know, anything like that. Bam, it happened and that kind of thing. Listen, it, to, to, to live a, a faithful Christian life and stay faithful in the Christian life for many, many years, you have to have endurance and patience. Why patience? Because I mess up a lot. I don't know about you. I look at my Christian life and I see a lot of victories, but I also see a lot of mess ups. I see times when I'm not what I need to be. I see times where I should be better. I see times where I could be better and I'm not. And the pa- you say, what's patience about? Patience, if nothing else, is patience with yourself. Sometimes the patience is patience with you. Not necessarily patience with anybody else. At the end of the day here, what is he saying? This walk is a walk where you make a decision, I'm not going to quit. Even when I have disappointment. Even when I mess up. Sometimes in the, in, in the world around us, we have examples that, that we should really latch onto of it's not time to quit, it's just time to keep on and hopefully in the future things will go better. And I know a lot of you guys are college football and if you're not fans, then, then, then bear with this, but, but you'll get it. Last week, the USC Trojans got run over by Stanford. And uh, I, I, I didn't see that coming. I, I thought, you know, 
Stanford got beat by Northwestern, really? Uh, you got beat by a directional school? I mean, it really? Uh, <laughs> that, that's not good. And so I thought, you know, well, you know, USC's got them at home. I mean, they're going to win. And you know what? The first quarter, USC nearly ran them out of the stadium. And then, wow, it was, it was, like, it was like the lights went off on one side of the stadium and they went on on the other. And, and Stanford got stronger and stronger and stronger. And USC seemed to get weaker and weaker and weaker. And the end result was that Stanford actually blew USC out on their home field, home opener of the conference schedule. And it, it was a bad defeat. But last night, USC went to Arizona State, a team that was supposedly very, very good. And to make a long story short, they, they stomped them. They beat them bad. They beat Arizona State on their home field as bad as Stanford beat them. But you know what? If the USC team, after last week's defeat and disappointment, had just thrown up their hands, Oh, I don't know. And what? This is just weird. You know, I'm going to quit. <laughs> They would have never had the victory that they had last night. You know, sometimes people leave the Lord because they go through a period of life in their spiritual life where they're not doing as good as they think they should be doing. And unfortunately, their reaction, their their decision is, well, I'm not a very good Christian. I'm just going to quit. What might have happened in that person's life? What victories might they have known? How many lives would have been touched for the Lord if they had just been a person that says, I'm going to endure and I'm going to be patient? Nobody is saved by their works. Because I'm telling you, our works aren't that good. None of us. We're saved by the grace of God. We're saved by God's wanting us to be saved. But we are also saved because we refuse to quit. I'm not leaving. I might not do well spiritually for a day, a week. I may not do well for a month or six or twelve. I may know in my heart of heart, I'm not where I need to be and I'm talking to some of you right here and you know I am. You're either going to A, endure and be patient, or B, you're going to quit. The walk of the Christian is not always glorious. Remember that passage in Isaiah 40? We will run and not grow weary, fly on wings like eagles, and we will walk and not faint. Many people think that's the... Uh, no, it ain't that good, I know. Uh, somebody think oh, that, that's in reverse order. It should be walk, run, and then eagles. But the order is eagles run and walk. We, we want to we we believe our Christian life should be like flying around like eagles. I am quaking. I am awesome. The Christian life, I've got it by the tail. Then every once in a while, yeah, I have, to, I have to slow down a little bit, but I'm running, man, I'm running. I'm cranking. No, the, the most glorious pace of the Christian life is walking. 
Because walking is when you refuse to quit. And you're not going as fast as you were before. Or you're not going as fast as you might go in the future. But you refuse to quit. And that's what he's saying there when he says that we've got to have this this great endurance and patience. And then the last thing he says here is joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you. And he goes on and that, that, that thing. The Christian life is a life of joy and happiness and laughter. Sometimes in the, in the face of difficulty. It's a walk. It's a life. It's a lifestyle. And, and let, let me sort of go back through that. What does that mean? Be productive. Grow. Just get a little bit better. You don't have to fix it all at once. Just get a little bit better. Don't quit. And be happy. That, that's sort of what he's in, in, encapsulating there. Now I want us to look back. I said I would do this. Look back to Ephesians 4. Because that's where we were last week. And, and we cut off at, uh, at verse 17. And we, we went through verse 16. Remember verse 16 is each part does its work. Remember that's where we ended? You guys with me? Come on now. Endure. Be patient. Get through. <laughs> In verse 17, he sort of picks up this new discussion of, okay, I've talked a lot about unity and things. He says, I want to now talk about uh, how you should sort of look at your life. And look what he says here. See, he says, so I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live, see, this worthy life. Now he's going to talk about live, and he's going to tell them, don't do this. He says, that you should no longer live as the Gentiles do. In the futility of their thinking, they're darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because the ignorance that's in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they give, have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more. Let me, let me condense that down to, to a good sentence for you. He says that you should, you should intentionally live not like the worldly people around you that are not trying to be Christians. The goal of the Christian life is not to be as much like a non-Christian as you can and not be a non-Christian. You follow what I'm saying? Now, you know, for, for some Christians, it, it's almost like, well, I want to be as worldly as I can and still be a Christian. No, he says, he says you've you, you got to realize you should no longer live that way. There should be a clear understanding in the Christian, in your mind, uh, and I'm going to go through different stages of life. I don't date. For all you guys who are still in the dating world, I don't date like people in the world. I just don't date like that. My dating life is different. On purpose. Okay, for marriage. I am not married like people in the world. I mean, I, I saw this week that another uh, uh, celebrity, big, I'm not going to go into names, uh, uh, they're, they're getting a divorce, been married two years. I mean, it seems like people in the world get married, uh, you know, every two years, whether they need it or not. You know, we, we just sort of move around every two years, every three years, you know, that kind of thing. People who are trying to live this worldly, <clears throat> this Christian life, have, have understand, listen, I am not going to live my married life the way people in the world live their married life. I'm going, to, I'm going to do it different. It's going to be different. I'm not going to be the same kind of employee. 
I'm not going to be the same type of employer. Some of you guys are employers and you have people that work for you. How do you treat the people who work for you? I'm going to treat them differently than people in the world treat people who work for them. You understand what I'm saying? I'm going to be a different kind of neighbor. I'm going to be a different kind of dad. I'm going to be a different kind of mom. It's a different life on purpose. It's what he's saying. You must no longer live as you used to live, like the Gentiles live. Now come on down to verse 22. He says, Therefore each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor, for we are all members of one body. In your anger do not sin, do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. He who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work, doing something useful with his own hands, that he may have something to share with those in need. He's saying, He's saying, I realize some of you, before you became a Christian, you were stealing things. <laughs> and he says, now that you're a Christian, you've got to quit stealing. You've got to get out, and you've got to get a job, and you've got to work, so that you can not only take care of your needs, but you'll have, actually have something for other people around you. Now, there are people in the room today that are not employed. This passage says that one of your responsibilities as a Christian, if you're going to live this life, this worthy life, is you need to get a job. You say, well, I'm not stealing from anybody. Um, You know, I don't know whether you are or not. But I do know this, if you're not bringing in an income, he says, you have nothing to give to others who have needs that are maybe greater than yours. You see, sometimes the Bible hits on on issues, guys. This is touchy. This is not politically correct by the standards of our world today. Yet it is very clear that the lifestyle that he's describing is a lifestyle where you understand I need to be part of the solution, not part of the problem. Those of you who are stealing, you got to quit stealing, first of all. And secondly, you need to get a job so that you can take care of your needs and not have to steal. And you will also be able to help others if they have needs. You'll have something to give them. You understand what I'm saying? This is a passage that takes a theologian to misunderstand it. Someone got it. It's clear. It's a lifestyle that is different. In our world today, we have all kinds of a social network in our country provided by the state, by the government. Now those programs and those ideas are good. And they meet many needs. But there are many, many, many people that take advantage of those programs. Could they work? Sure. Are they physically capable of doing work? Yes. But they don't want to. And they realize, I basically can take advantage And I can live on the generosity of the state, the generosity ultimately of the people. You know, if if you're eating it free, someone paid for it. 
If you understand what I'm saying. There is no free lunch. Someone paid for it. And they take advantage of it. As a Christian, this worthy walk in, in this particular angle of it very clearly is an understanding that that's how people in the world may think. That's how people in the world may go about their business. That's how people in the world may look at their life. But you are not to live that way anymore. It's what he's saying. You may have done that in the past. That may have been how you lived before you became a Christian. But now as a Christian, you understand that I, I must set my sight on a different lifestyle. If you understand what I'm saying. Now I realize for some of you out there, I may have just walked all over you. Or your family. Or people that you know. My intention is not to walk over anybody. My intention is not to embarrass anybody. My intention is to teach the Scriptures with integrity. That is what this passage is teaching. It is teaching that we all ought to understand that we have a responsibility not just to take care of ourselves, but also to be able to take care of ourselves and to be able to help others that are in need. Because we are living this worthy life, we understand that's part of the responsibility that we have. Okay, let me bring this on down to a close and and hopefully uh, it will be a a good wrap up for us. In verse 29, he sort of ends this sort of text here with do this, don't do that. He says, but do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. (laughs) Boy, if that doesn't bother you, it should. Because every once in a while I know my talk isn't as wholesome as it needs to be. Uh, come out of your mouth. But only when it's helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you seal for the day of redemption. Get rid of, and these are all internal things here, uh, of, of sort of the heart. He says, get rid of bitterness. You bitter about something? Let it go. Rage. Uh, internal rage and anger that you have going on. Anger. You're just an angry man. Uh, brawling. Man, you're, you're ready to fight at, at, at a drop of a hat. Uh, and slander. Saying ugly things about people around you. Along with every form of malice. He says, don't do this. This is the don't do list. Don't live like that. Don't do those things. Don't be that way. It's what he's saying. But be kind. And compassionate to one another. Forgiving each other. Just as in Christ, God forgave you. There are times in the Christian life, if you're walking this worthy walk, that you have to forgive people that you feel like have treated you wrong. Now all of us at one time or another in our life have someone that we think treated us wrong. Whether they did or not, might be an interesting discussion. Because oftentimes, if you ask a person that they think did them wrong, they're like, well, no, 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 that's not the way it happened. And so you have sort of a, you know, he said, she said, or she said, she said, or he said, he said. If you understand what I'm saying. And you've got this, well, you know, you think I did you wrong, but I don't think I did you wrong. He didn't even get into that discussion. He just says, if you think you need to forgive somebody, forgive them. You don't have to have their agreement that they need to be forgiven. Because they actually may not think they need to be forgiven. But you have an attitude about them and you need to forgive them anyway. Forgive 
as Christ forgave you. Now here's how I'm going to wrap this thing up. Go back to Colossians 1. That first little passage that we read. And uh, I, want you, I want to notice something here I really didn't emphasize uh, when we went through it at the beginning. His closing comments here in verse 14, 13 and 14, I, th- I think are, are just unbelievably descriptive. At the end of verse 12 there, he says, "...who has qualified you..." Listen to this. "...to share in the inheritance of the saints..." In the kingdom of light. you got to admit, that's a cool term. That God's collective body on earth is the kingdom of light. For He rescued us from the dominion of darkness. He rescued you. He pulled you out of the dominion of darkness. And then He uses another term, even again, and brought us into the kingdom of the Son He loves. The kingdom of light is the kingdom of Jesus, His Son that He loves. You know John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son. Jesus is God's one and only Son. He loves His Son. And He loves all of us who have been rescued from the dominion of darkness and brought into the kingdom of light, the kingdom of His Son, whom He loves. Now, maybe it's just me, but when I read that this morning and was studying and thinking about that, it's almost as if I had a, a, a tingle, uh, you know, go, go, you know, up my arm. You know, it's like... Wow, the, the, the kingdom of light. I've been rescued from the dominion of darkness. Whoa. And I brought, I've been brought into the kingdom of light. The kingdom of His Son, whom He loves. I'm telling you, this worthy life, this worthy walk, is a good place to be. Tough sometimes. But it's a good place to be. Love you. Have a great day.